listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. And welcome inside to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today we have Brittany Gooch, who is a minor league physical therapist for the Philadelphia Phillies. Brittany, welcome on in. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Brittany. Um, like we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, spring training is uh, kind of ramping up. Um, so I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule. But uh, give a little background about who you are and kind of a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. Um, so like you said, I'm obviously with the Philadelphia Phillies right now. Um, I'm from a small town in North Alabama, um, Florence. Grew up on the river uh, playing softball and basketball pretty much through high school. And then I went to the University of Alabama for undergrad and was able to kind of get into athletics there and start my career. Um, I got an undergrad in exercise science and also in food and nutrition. And then um, went from there to PT school at Belmont University up in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, was there for three years, got some great experiences while I was there with my clinicals and everything, and then rolled straight from there into residency at Houston Methodist Orthopedics and Sports Medicine out in Texas. And um, again, fantastic people, fantastic place, got to learn a lot. Um, was there for about a year and a half with some of that being COVID, um, which was obviously an experience in itself. And then left there, went back to Alabama, worked at the University of Alabama um, with athletics again, um, which was under the ATI umbrella while I was in Tuscaloosa. And then was there for about a year before I got the phone call from the Phillies to jump ship and head down to Florida. So this will be my second spring training with the Phillies. I came in who like two weeks in, I think last year in the middle of all the chaos and had no idea what was going on. So uh, getting to see a little more of the planning side this year, which has been interesting. So we'll hit the ground running really with big league spring training this week and then get into minor league in a couple of weeks. So we're, we're going at this point. Yeah. Very cool. So I want to talk a little bit more kind of about your time. You said um, at Alabama, when you first were there, you said that uh, you worked, you know, exercise science and then nutrition. So kind of tell us a little bit about how you decided to, you wanted to become a physical therapist in the first place. Was that your initial plan or did that some sort of come with you being involved in sports um, at the college level? Yeah. So my background's kind of strange when it comes to that realm. I went into college knowing that I wanted to do PT. Um, that was kind of the plan. Like I can remember probably junior year of high school kind of thinking, okay, this is the route I want to go. Um, but I got to Alabama. I went to a conference my freshman year and talked to a lot of people that had not gotten into PT school and they completely freaked me out head to toe of like, what's going to happen if you don't get in? And I hadn't really considered that. And as a person who was going the exercise science route, I didn't know what I would do with that as a backup. Um, like if PT school didn't work out, what, what, what kind of career would I make out of that degree? Um, so that led me to, you know, look at a couple of other options and nutrition was one of those. Um, and I was lucky enough my freshman year, I started working in athletics at Alabama as a, like a nutrition volunteer. Um, so Amy Bragg at Alabama, fantastic human. Um, one of my mentors, one of my really good friends, 
she's the head dietitian there. Um, she brought me on. And then by my senior year, I was really involved with that sports medicine staff and had my own teams and was traveling and doing everything from a nutrition realm, but had developed really good relationships with athletic trainers as well, um, with Jeff Allen being the head there for football. Um, he's fantastic. So they all kind of took me under their wing. And at that point, I knew that athletics was where I was going to kind of want to end up. Um, by the time I graduated, I had picked up the nutrition degree as the second degree. And the plan was still, if I didn't get into PT school right away, I would go ahead and finish that out and go ahead and get my registered dietitian and be able to go that route. Um, to this day, I'm not a registered dietitian, but I do have the degree at least. So that's kind of like how that all came to be. I would say that being at Alabama more so solidified that I wanted to be a sports physical therapist more so than a physical therapist in general, but PT was the plan from the get go. Right. And so, you know, kind of talking a little bit more about how you wanted to be a sports physical therapist. Um, what made you choose Houston Methodist as uh, your choice of residency and kind of tell us a little bit more about what into that, what into that decision? Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I based what PT school I was going to go to off of what their sports medicine curriculum looked like from the get-go. Um, so being at Belmont with, you know, like Mike Voigt and people like that that were going to be my teachers day in and day out, I knew I was going to get a little bit more of a tailored education in that area, um, which Belmont's great at most specialties, but that was kind of the focus for me. And then when I started going the residency route, um, it was one of those that I knew I wanted back in the training room. It was something that I missed so every day on my clinicals. Uh, the clinic life was different um, and it had its perks, but it was I knew it was kind of not what I wanted to do long term. Um, so when I started thinking about which residency I wanted to go to, there were a couple of criteria that were really important to me. One was what are their sport affiliations? Um, I knew from my background at Alabama that football, baseball was kind of where I thrived. It's where I felt like I connected with my athletes the most. It's what I kind of knew the most about the sport, um, could really communicate their language. So that was one criteria. Um, I wanted it to be at least a high level collegiate environment, um, with the potential to have professional as well. Methodist happens to have both. Um, so that was a good fit. And then um, I wanted the training room hours to be extensive. I didn't want it to be, oh, well, you, you know, you go help at this high school for a couple of hours. You go help here for a couple of hours. I wanted to be kind of considered a part of that staff um, and not necessarily to be in charge by any means, because you should never think that as a physical therapist in an athletic training room, period. But I wanted to be there day in and day out to where the players knew who I was the coaches knew who I was that way I could be, you know, an integral part of the team versus just somebody who showed up on Saturdays and was standing on the sidelines. Um, so that was one of the things that like Methodist really brought to the table. And there are other programs that do too, but it was probably the best fit for me. And then the people like the people in that program are absolutely fantastic. And I fell in love with them on my interview and, you know, are still some of my closest friends now. So um, that was kind of what led me to them specifically. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, some things that you learned. Like I know residency is like a year long, full of experiences, but what are some like lessons that you took away that you kind of use in your practice every day now? Oh, a lot. Um, so Matt Holland is the director of that residency and he was the previous team physical therapist for the Houston Astros. 
So obviously being under him and being able to learn his approach to the baseball player, I think is, uh, he obviously brings a very unique experience level um, to the baseball athlete that I don't think everyone has clinically. So learning that it's not always super black and white, it's not always what the protocol is, it's not always the throwing program that the surgeon gives you, you know, I feel like those are very structured things and they're structured for a reason um, because your base level like clinician needs that. Um, But if your throwing program, for instance, is going to 120 feet and you have a guy that never throws past 90, maybe you're not going to 120 feet you know, as many times as it wants you to go to it or at all for that reason, or vice versa. If it's a guy who loves to long toss, which we could get into a bigger discussion on like, should you or should you not? But if there's a guy that throws off the mound and the next day he's used to throw into 300 feet, then you probably need to structure that into his throwing program to some extent, if you agree that it's okay for him to do. Otherwise, you're going to release him from rehab or whatever kind of setting you're in, and then he's going to go do it, and it's going to be something he's never experienced. Um, So I think that's a big takeaway for any, like, new clinician just in general is, like, if you're going to go into that specialized population, you have to know a little more about it to be successful. Um, And then I've been lucky enough to work with some of the giants in the field, obviously, and this is not just a Houston Methodist thing, but it reiterates the fact that relationships are really, 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 really important. Um, Can't emphasize that enough. And like Matt having the relationships that he has, you know, with everybody at Rice University, everybody at the Texans, everybody at the Astros, you know, just in the sports world in general and seeing how he manages in the clinic and, you know, all of the clinicians there being this, you know, massive family, um, you just can't, you can't replicate that. It's a special thing when you get it. Um, and it reiterated the fact that that's where the way I want all of my jobs to be. Um, it's really about the people you work with at the end of the day and the people you work for. And if you're working for crappy people, it's probably going to be a crappy experience. So those would kind of be the biggest things I think. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, and then talk to us a little bit about your transition from, you know, working at your um, residency and then working with um, at University of Alabama kind of under that ATI umbrella. Tell us a little bit more about that transition and then kind of what you did there. Yeah, so um, that was an opportunity that kind of came about out of nowhere to an extent. So like I mentioned previously, I was with athletics in undergrad, had maintained really good relationships with them throughout that whole process, went back for one of my clinicals at Alabama, um, had went back one summer and worked just like football stuff, had been in and out of there for several years um, and had Mm -hmm. maintained those relationships really well. So it came about Alabama contracts their PT through ATI. My um, CI from PT school that I did that clinical through, um, he needed somebody at the clinic. So he called me up, said, you know, would you be interested in coming back? And it was kind of one of those conversations that I had with him and had with, you know, the staff at Alabama of kind of like what that would look like if I did come back, what could I bring to the table? Maybe that they weren't already doing, could I be an extra set of hands? Could, you know, just what would it entail? And there was a lot of conversations that went into that and a lot of things that were kind of like, well, we could go one direction, we could go another. 
And at the end, it was really, I had gotten a lot of experience at Methodist with kind of like injury prevention screenings, um, because we did that for baseball at Rice University. We did a lot of, you know, kind of like return to sport things in the clinic. So that was something that it was like, okay, this could be an area where you come in and focus more on our overhead athletes, which at the time was like softball. We threw um, volleyball in there to an extent. Honestly, swim was in there to an extent. You know, just a lot of different sports that maybe weren't seeing as much of that preventative stuff as like your football teams and your baseball teams were getting. Um, So it started as I was going to work in the clinic and then I was going to go over and help them out with some of their preseason stuff, help with like programming and write preventative programs based off of our testing um, and got really, really involved with the softball group um, there. So AC, their athletic trainer is fantastic. Um, developed a good relationship with her to the point where, you know, we were texting back and forth constantly about things we could do for girls. Um, so that was really cool. And through that, um, started seeing more and more of those athletes in the clinic as well. Um, so it wasn't the intensive kind of like training room experience that I had been used to in residency and was even used to when I was at Alabama the first time, but was still you know, really good setup with really good people. And I was still getting to do a lot of what I loved in that realm. Um, So that was kind of the way that worked on a daily basis. Gotcha. And then so tell us a little bit more um, about your time with the Phillies. You said last year you came in around this time. So tell us a little bit more about your first year in uh, professional baseball. Yeah, so I started in February with them last year. And it has been an absolute whirlwind. Um, part of that was has to do with like the time of the year that I came in. Um, and then part of that just has to do with baseball and the grind of baseball season and the way it is in general. Um, so the way we have it set up is I'm under the rehab coordinator. Um, and then obviously we all work under the medical umbrella. So we're in Clearwater, Florida. Um, We operate pretty much year round and then anybody, you know, major league down um, throughout the affiliates, as well as obviously the major league guys, if they're going to be a long rehab stint, they're going to get flown down to us in Florida and we're going to handle their care there until we can get them back in a game and work them back up through the system. So um, I've learned a lot. I obviously had some background baseball knowledge going in, which was super, super helpful. Um, But being I think in the training room realm, one, but in more of a, I don't want to say authoritative because that's not the right word, but I think this is the first time that I've been in that setting and had the position that I've had where like, you know, I'm making schedules, I'm making return to play decisions. um, I'm doing a whole lot more than I had in previous settings. So it's been good. I'm really excited about year two. I think we've got a lot of, you know, good things in place from last year that we look to carry on and then, you know, always looking to improve as well. So we're excited. Right. And so um, what are some challenges that you think are, you know, pretty unique to baseball? Not necessarily challenges, but some aspects of rehab that are, you know, very uh, tailored to baseball rather than, you know, your other field sports that you you had experience with. Yeah. So, I was actually talking to some players about this today because they know I kind of came in with a heavy football background Um, being at Alabama. Obviously that's kind of far for the course, Um, but it's 
football's a grind, baseball's a grind, but they are very, very different grinds. Um, baseball obviously is a really, really, really long season and you're getting one off day a week. So, I mean, generally at the affiliates, like let's say the off day's Monday, you're playing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, whereas mm-hmm. in football, you know, at the collegiate level, you're playing on Saturday. At pro level, you're playing on Sunday, Monday, Thursday, depending on the week. And with that, you have this really, really heightened day where your schedule is absolutely crazy. Not to say that your schedule's not crazy every day because that's just the case in sports. But you have one game day and then you have these five to six other practice days that tend to be at a little bit of a lower intensity per se. And I put that in quotes because we all know that that's not really the way it is. Um, But in baseball, it's game after game after game. Therefore, the process of like the rehab in those sports is very different in the sense that baseball almost becomes monotonous to an extent because if you're going to have Tommy John, you're out for a year. I mean, it's it's not really questionable. Mm. You're down for the count for a year, which means you're coming in to see my bright and shining face in Florida day in and day out from the day that you get surgery until the day that I put you back on the mound. Whereas in football, obviously you have a wide you know spray of injuries, but for the most part, you're looking at getting people back in a shorter time frame. Obviously, your ACLs and things mm-hmm. like that, you're not, you're not. But it's just, it's a different concept. So in baseball, we're working on throwing every single day. If you're an arm injury, you're going to throw all the time. In football, if you talk like a lower extremity injury, well, you're going to work on acceleration. You're going to work on deceleration. You're going to work on cutting. You're going to work on passing. You're gonna, you know, you're going to work on all of these things. But if you're a pitcher, guess what? You're going to work on pitching. And there's obviously, like, nuances to that. And, you know, some days we may be doing eccentrics. Some days we may be doing isometrics. And, like, that can change. But for a player, that's really, really hard. You have no opportunity to really go compete until I put a batter in the box for you. Um, So I think the mental aspect of that comes into play a lot. Not to say that it doesn't in other sports, but it's just it's just slightly different in baseball. Um, and I think from a staff perspective, you have to deal with that yourself too. Um, because like if I looked at my, you know, rehab roster now through and through, over 50% of that is going to be an elbow or a shoulder injury. Um, I obviously have some knees and hips and ankles and all of those things thrown in there the same way any other sport would. But a lot of times I'm writing throwing programs, I'm writing arm care programs, you know, and that in itself, you have to find ways to still be um, creative and still be unique, not only for yourself, but for your player. Um, So I think that's just like something slightly different compared to other sports. Um, It's just a different pace, um, different overall schedule and a different overall outlook. Yeah, I think that that perspective is is great because um, when you're talking about the rehab, like beyond the interventions or the diagnosis or whatever, you got to make sure that the athlete, you know, is able to stay engaged throughout their entire rehab process. So knowing how they're going to respond to how long they're going to be out or versus how long they're going to actually not be able to compete in their sport that they love, that's like an important thing to take to take into consideration. So if you notice a 
athlete is kind of dipping and not really with you, it's like, all right, well, we've been doing this for eight months straight. I kind of, it kind of makes sense as to why they're at this mm-hmm. point right now. Exactly. Um, so, so talking a little bit more um, about your, your rehab process, um, how do you kind of make sure that your athletes are, you know, that fine line between, or that gray line, I guess, between rehab and performance, how do you kind of make sure that they're the most ready as they can be? Because, you know, where do we kind of transition from rehab into higher level performance? Yeah, I think that's kind of a hot topic right now in general. Um, when you think about the collaboration that's happening and what I think is a better way than it has in previous years between, you know, physical therapists, athletic trainers and strength and conditioning and then nutrition and all of these other fields into that too. Um, and everybody has a piece of that puzzle. And I think at least the way we try to do it is from day one that you're coming in to see me. Um, so let's say you had surgery yesterday and you're coming in post-op, you know, tomorrow. Like we have to have a conversation about what the end goal is. And the end goal is always going to be, okay, I'm getting you back to the mound. I'm getting you back to your position. You know, I'm getting you back in the box, whatever it looks like. That's the goal from day one. And everything that we are doing has to tailor towards that. Um, so sure, you know, we're going to do range of motion. We're going to do basic strengthening things initially. Um, but even that is tailored to what you have to do from a performance perspective. So if you think about baseball per se, if I have somebody that has a Tommy John and they're coming in, well, their strength is going to be much more like external rotation, posterior cuff, you know, all of these things that are, that are going to tailor more to their performance, even initially. So I feel like where people mm-hmm. get lost sometimes is they try to draw this, well, I'm going to do the acute rehab and then you're going to do the actual performance aspect of things. And, and it's a smooth you stop with one and then you start with the other. And I I think we're missing the boat if that's the way we're doing it. It has to be start to finish performance is the goal. And then there's going to be little pieces Mm -hmm. of that here and there that tend to be a little more um, maybe mechanical based, a little more speed based, whatever that may look like. Um, So I think, again, relaying that to the athlete is super important, communicating that effectively with, all of the members of your medical staff is really important so that everybody's on the same page. And then ideally that's a really fluid relationship as you go throughout it. And, you know, different people are doing different things to achieve that same goal. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great answer. Um, so Brittany, I wanted to ask a little, a couple of questions that go back to, you know, your time in residency and, you know, for learning from different people along your, your journey um, what are some things that you looked for in mentors? You know that you wanted to do like sports PT since you were, you know, an undergrad. Um, so what are some things that when you were looking at residencies, you're like, all right, I want to work with this person. What are some things that like really stuck out about them that you look, looked up to them for? Yeah, I touched on this a little bit prior, um, but I really, really wanted to learn from people who were good people. Um that was one of the things, you know, Houston Methodist does a really good job of they hire people who are good people. And it's why they have, you know, the staff that they do. But I think that plays a lot into when when you're in a learning environment, is it all about 
what the textbook says or is it someone who's willing to say, okay, I understand that the book says this and you are taught this, but knowing this patient, knowing this relationship, knowing this athlete, what if you tried this? Maybe this would work a little bit better for them. And that's a piece if you don't have that good person that's sitting there and tailoring that treatment, I think you miss out on that a lot. Um, and then again, like from a mentorship perspective, I wanted it to not always be about work. To me, if you have a really good relationship with somebody outside of the work setting, it makes the work setting that much better because you know what's going on. Um, you have an open dialogue with them, you know, all the time. You're easily able to ask questions. You're easily able to mm -hmm. disagree. I think that's really important as well. Like this world is not black and white. The way we treat is not black and white. Um, and sometimes I'm going to think something and someone else is going to think something completely different. However, you give us two patients or two athletes and probably both of us can get them better. We just may go about it a different way. Um, so, you know, seeking out people who don't always agree with you is really important. But being able to have that dialogue when you don't agree to say, okay, well, here's why I believe this. And, you know, here's what I tried and it worked. Maybe this would work for your person if you haven't tried that. Or why do you believe what you believe? Why do you think that works? What's the thought process there? Because, again, I think you're learning from all of those conversations that go into that. Um, so seeking that out, you obviously want to seek out people that are in the field that you want to be in. Um, so like I said, like I knew baseball football was kind of my bread and butter. So I wanted people who worked baseball football. It wouldn't have made a lot of sense for me to, you know, go to a residency that specialized in something else. Um, so those were kind mm -hmm. of the bigger takeaways, I think, um, and kind of how I would approach it. I, I think if I had to do it over again, too. So what are some uh, soft skills or hard skills that you think are like prerequisites that are needed to work in professional sports? You touched a little bit on them earlier um, on some of them, but what are some things that you think um, that are needed absolutely to work in professional sports? I could really get on my soapbox with this question. Um, <laughs> but I think at the end of the day, and I tell this to people when I interview them as well, um, you can have the best skill set in the world and be a really bad sports physical therapist, really a really bad clinician in general, regardless of the setting. Um, I think those, you know, treatment skills are important. And yeah, you need to know basics and you need to be willing to learn. But I think in the sports environment specifically, it has a lot more to do with personality um, in the sense of like Jeff Allen at Alabama. He says it better than anybody I know in the sense of if you're not a servant, if you don't have a servant attitude, um, if you don't have a servant heart, you are not meant to work in sports from a sports medicine perspective. Because at the end of the day, like you got to do the dirty work. You got to show up mm -hmm. early. You got to be the last one to go home. You got to be willing to do everything under the sun and sometimes not receive any credit. Um, and if you're not okay with that, I think you get eaten alive. Um, so that would be one that's a major takeaway for me. I think 
Communication is another one. You have to be an effective communicator because if you're talking to coaches, if you're talking to front office staff, you know, whatever that needs to look like, you need to know what you should say, what you shouldn't say, and how concise you should be in the process. But at the same time, you need to walk away from that conversation and they need to walk away with from that conversation knowing exactly what was said and they're not being room for question. Um, so being able to do that, being able to communicate with players effectively, being able to get your point across, being able to relate to people, um, people, you know, harp all the time of like, don't get too close mm -hmm. to your athletes. Don't get too close to your patients. Don't, don't, don't kind of aspect. Um, but I'm kind of a firm believer in your patients aren't really, and your athletes aren't going to respond well to you if you don't care about them. So you have to, to an extent to get the outcome you want. Um, right. So communication being one, um, I think another one is ability to handle stress and to not show that on the outside, <laughs> even though sometimes you really, really want to. Um, every day is chaos. You can spend hours working on a schedule and you're going to walk in the door and within five minutes, it's going to go to crap, blow up in your face, and you're going to have to restart from square one. Um, you're going to have this really pretty rehab progression written out and then all of a sudden players going to have pain or all of a sudden it's going to rain and you can't sprint that day because the grass is wet. So um, stress is an unfortunate part of the job and you're never going to get rid of it. But being able to cope with that, being able to have a support system um, that understands that and that helps you cope with that as well as your own like individual coping mechanisms you just have to be able to do it. Um, those are kind of, I guess those are probably the three time management. That's another one, but that kind of also comes with stress. Um, so those would probably, probably be the bigger ones, I think. Um, and again, those really have nothing to do with your clinical skills, but I think if you don't have them, that you're going to absolutely crash and burn in the setting. Awesome. Yeah. I think those are, you know, great things that, you know, people, if, uh, you know, beyond whatever CEU you may take, these are things that people need to kind of work on or like take into their own practice to make sure, you know, I think in any clinical setting, it's right. super important, but especially in sport. Um, so Brittany, kind of give us a day in the life of what it's like to be you. I know right now you're ramping up for spring training. Um, so tell us a little bit more about what's gonna, what's going to be like when spring training starts and then kind of what happens when the, the real, uh, the regular season rolls around. Yeah. So spring training is obviously really, really busy and really, really long days. Um, so generally my morning would start likely between four and 5 a.m. I'm at work on those days, sometimes a little later, depending on what's going on. Um, we would normally have some kind of meeting probably at 6 a.m. And then guys would start rolling in, you know, 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock, depending on the day. Um, from a rehab perspective, those guys come in, you know, we get them ready on the table, then we go throw, then we do whatever field activities they have, come back in, they're going to have their rehab program, um, their strength and conditioning program, you know, whatever else is on the schedule for that day. Normally guys are, you know, headed out after probably four or five hours um, of being there doing work. So if they get started at eight, you're looking at a 12 or one kind of leave um, for most of them. And then it's a uh, sit down and write notes, sit down and make schedules for the next day. 
um, have whatever staff meetings we're going to have that day, talk through what happened, what went well, what could have went better. Um, and then just more like organizational work for most of the afternoon. Most of the time during spring training, I'd say I get home between anywhere between five and seven. I would say it's probably more between the six and seven range. <laughs> sometimes it's a little later. Sometimes it's a little earlier, but that's probably fairly normal. I mean, like I can tell you, I got home 30 minutes before I jumped on this call with you today and I was at work at five thirty this morning. So um, obviously we're, we're rolling down here, but from a regular season standpoint, I think that changes slightly. So normally we start a little bit later. Um, so I would look at getting in probably between six and seven, um, guys start rolling in between eight and nine. You're going to go through the kind of that same schedule I described earlier from a rehab perspective, obviously in season guys look a little bit different that are healthy. Um, and then there's normally a complex game in the afternoon and then there's going to be a low A game at night. So a lot of times we roll right into that, help out with that where we can when rehab guys are going through their rehab assignments, if they're playing in any of those games, I'm obviously at those games, taking care of those guys, helping out the athletic trainers where I can um, and then going home. So if I'm not at a game, I may get out of there between four and five. If I'm working a game, then I may sprint home around that time and let my dog out real fast. And then I'm back at the field by um, whatever game time is and then rolling from there and getting home a little later. So it really just depends on where the guys are at and their rehab progression and where we need to be from that perspective. Um, I would say the athletic trainer schedules are fairly similar mm -hmm. to that as well. Um, they just either start their day a little earlier or start their day a little later. Um, Cause obviously if you're at an affiliate, you've got not games that you're working on. So they're normally not reporting until, you know, 10, 12 o'clock, but then they're not leaving the field either until 10, 12 o'clock. So um, that's kind of the overall gist. Gotcha. Um, and so have you had a favorite memory of working with the Phillies so far in this past year? Oh, I think personal memory, which really doesn't have a ton to do with my job in itself, but obviously we went to the world series this past year mm -hmm. and the Phillies were really, really gracious enough to, allow all of the staff to fly up to Philly, even player development staff. And they allowed you to bring a family member. Um, so I got to take my dad to that, um, which was awesome for me. Um, you know, I've been really, really blessed to have the parents that I have. Um, they're looking, I think they have moved me at this point. 12 13 times oh, and it's like at the point where you know like they get a phone call and they're like okay where are we headed next because um, <laughs> obviously that's the way sports work so just being able to like give them a little piece of that um, was important to me and personally like amazing um, my dad was quite the trooper on that trip and was just along for the ride and whatever I wanted to do that's what he was doing and was meeting staff left and right so um, that's probably the biggest thing that stands out, um, from a personal aspect, from a more so my job aspect. Um, we had several guys that were coming off multi-year injuries this past year, um, and being able to see them, I mean, baseball is another breed and they have it counted down to the absolute day of the last time they threw a competitive pitch. <laughs> And we had several that were, I mean, three plus years without a competitive pitch that we got back on the mound this year. So 
Um, and that's a credit to them. That has nothing to do with anything we're doing, not doing, whatever. That's a credit to them as athletes. Um, but being able to share that moment with them was amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. I think both those, you know, personal and professional experiences are kind of like, you know, some of the greatest things that sports, you know, PT has to offer. Um, so Brittany, last question for you before we get you out of here. Do you have any advice for anybody that wants to get into sports PT? Um, you know, whether it's the college professional level, um, you know, even in the outpatient, um, you know, level kind of what, what advice would you give to somebody that wants to kind of be a sports PT? Yeah, I think one recognize that relationships are everything. Um, it really is about who, you know, um, sure you have to do a good job and all of those other things, but when you think a relationship isn't going to matter, it matters. The sports PT world is, um, very, very small. Um, the sports medicine world in general is very, very small. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's willing to make a phone call. Um, and they protect their own and that's really good, but it can be really bad for you if you don't recognize that early on. Um, so that would be one to recognize, um, yourself as a physical therapist and what your role is. Um, I get really, really frustrated with physical therapists who do not maintain good relationships with athletic trainers. Mm -hmm. I think it's really completely unacceptable and, you have things you can teach them and they have things that they can teach you. And it should be a very like, um, symbiotic relationship. So don't take advantage of them. Um, use them, let them use you. And overall, that's going to be a, you know, a betterment of your athlete if that's the case. So don't think you're too good to fill up a water cooler. Don't think you're too good to, you know, to, you know, do a stretch on a walk on, like, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, you're there as a team. Um, so that would be the other one. And then um, if you do want to work in more of a training room setting, get training room hours. Mm -hmm. um, that is another thing that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. The clinic is not the training room. It runs very, very differently. And it always will. Um, and that's for a multitude of reasons, but if you've never experienced it, if you've never been a part of it, it's really hard to step into a role like that and be successful. Um, so if it's, it's, if it's your end goal to do it, find a way to volunteer, um, whatever that may look like. I mean, I just told you about how I started in nutrition and I didn't know that I was going to love that, but it got me in a training room setting and, you know, here we are. <laughs> um, so find a way to volunteer, find a way to just go observe, whatever it may look like, um, sideline coverage, same kind of thing. Um, just find a way to get your hands dirty at the end of the day. And if that means messaging somebody, if that means reaching out, I mean, message me at any time. It may take me four months to respond, but <laughs> I'll get back to you eventually. I literally went through my LinkedIn messages um, a few weeks ago and sent a bunch of people messages back that had reached out that I just hadn't got around to. So, I mean, Find somebody that you think you would look up to and ask questions and then seek that out and go from there. All right, Brittany. I think, um, you know, despite our technical difficulties, this has been a great episode. Um, I think you've given a lot of great advice, you know, stuff that I'll use in my everyday practice and hopefully other people that are listening can too. Um, is there anything that you'd like to plug before we get you out of here? Be a good person. <laughs> That's my takeaway. Be a good person. Be nice to other people. Um, reach out if you have any questions. Like I said, I'm more than happy to help in any way that I can. And 
yeah, go for your dreams. All right. I think that's the most wholesome plug that we've had on this podcast so far. And I think that's a great way to end this podcast. And uh, so with that being said, this has been the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Huge shout out to Brittany Gooch at the Philadelphia Phillies for coming on to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. This marks the 75th episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast, and I truly cannot thank everyone that's listened, subscribed, or shared this podcast with their friends. I hope whoever is listening may take some lessons away from these great guests who are so gracious with their time and experience. The podcast will be going on a short hiatus, but we will be back soon with more episodes from awesome future guests.